Mike Tomato Happening. Is it just Mike Tomo- Mike Tomone? Right, Mike Tomano. Mike Tomano. Hey, this is Carrot Top. You listen to Mike Tomonian. Tomano. Mike Tomato. Oh, I'm Mike Tomano. Yeah, I'm Mike Tomato. Oh, say, so, hey, it's Carrot Top, and you listen to Mike Tomato. You dumb f***er, turn it up. to the all-important third episode of the podcast. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Tomano, and so far, so good. Great feedback on the first two interviews. Uh, the first episode with Donnie V, the extraordinary singer-songwriter. Uh, you may know him from Enough's Enough, but you don't know him enough, if that's all you know. He's got a great solo career going as well. So uh, check out that first podcast. Also, the great Jackie the Joke Man, Martley, joined us for episode two. What a riot. What a great guy, too. I'm glad I got to know him uh, with our back and forth communication leading up to the program. Really a cool guy. Really nice guy. And make sure wherever you get your podcast, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn and Alexa and iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe wherever it's appropriate uh, for you and how you get your podcasts and to help make this thing a success because I'm really enjoying doing it and I'm glad that you're enjoying listening. So, uh, yeah, here we are smack dab in the middle of summer, middle of July, and uh, I tend to stay busy all the time, but especially in the summertime. I always keep my creative juices flowing and my career endeavors cooking along. I got my morning radio show, for those of you who are in the area, WVLI 92.7. Uh, You could also listen online, WVLI927.com. It's an oldies radio show, and we have a lot of fun, my partner and I. Uh, We do a morning show that's kind of a throwback to the old days. We have a lot of fun. We play a lot of cool music, and it's kind of old school. Very, very cool, and we've got a really devoted audience there in the Kankakee River Valley region of uh, Illinois, south of Chicago. And if you dig uh, music from the 60s and 70s and 80s, and you like uh, good original humor, you may find this to be the alternative to whatever's going on in your city. So uh, once again, I'll give that a plug, WVLI927.com. And I'm also uh, playing in a couple of bands in the area. I play drums for a couple of bands. That keeps me very busy. Although, you know, waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning to do a radio show, and if if I have a gig on a Friday night, It's, you know, at 53 years old, it's getting really, really difficult to keep that up. So if I have back-to-back shows Friday and Saturday night, I'm I'm wrecked by Sunday. I usually don't leave the bed. But yeah, I teach music as well in the area. Not because I have to. It's because uh, I find it extremely rewarding, especially with young kids, to teach them how to play drums and how to understand music and get music into their lives. Because uh, I think it's more important now than ever that they have something that is not an electronic device in their hands or a telephone or whatever. I mean, kids today, I, I see them watching other people play video games on YouTube. What? What is it? They're not even... That's like spectatorship twice removed. Really bizarre stuff. So it's, it's important that we get them to do other things, you know? So that's kind of why I teach music. And like I said, it's very rewarding. I love it. And I spend as much time as I can with my wife and my daughter. When I'm not doing that, I'm usually in the woods or on the water seeking out great outdoors adventure. And then, of course, there's the inevitable need to occasionally veg. Hit the couch. I mean, yeah, it's not often, but at the end of a long day, I like to just uh, tune in and tune out. You know, kind of been binge watching the show alone on Netflix. Have you seen this? Where they drop people off in the Arctic and they have to survive on their own skills for a hundred days and the payoff is a million bucks. So I watched season seven. That's all it aggravates me about Netflix. They don't put entire runs of shows up. They get like certain seasons. I don't know. Please get me started on Netflix. But uh, so I watched uh, the show my daughter turned me on to alone. 
and it's uh contestants are dropped off at different parts of the arctic and they have to live on their own wits eating porcupine fat and building houses out of sticks and mud it's pretty cool pretty cool and it was a realization as much as i enjoy being out in the great outdoors and camping and hiking and fishing and canoeing and hunting i wouldn't have made it i had to be honest with myself i'm like these are these are hardcore woodsmen and women so uh, yeah it's a pretty cool show i recently uh, rewatched outlaw josie wales an old clint eastwood western i don't i think that was the second movie he directed he did uh play misty for me and i think he followed up with a return to the western that made him a star with all the uh, Sergio now the Sergio Leone movies are a little long for me I they're like like a space odyssey and vertigo I'm hard-pressed to stay awake for an entire viewing of uh, once upon a time in the West or the good the bad and the ugly as cool as they are a little long could have used a little editing there brother but who am I to tell Sergio Leone what to do but anyway I watched uh, outlaw Josie Wales loved it made me want to start wearing a cowboy hat carrying a big pistol on my hip but uh so far i haven't and then i've been binge watching some sitcoms and sitcoms kind of were on my mind as i uh got ready to do this particular interview with tom leopold they've been a barometer of american values you know the collective sense of humor the changing types of humor throughout the decades uh ever-changing societal norms represented in the sitcom you had the picket fence lily white wholesomeness of leave it to beaver and all the way to the you know blue collar nastiness of uh, married with children <laughs> which i don't think i've seen too many episodes of either of those probably three or four episodes of leave it to beaver three or four episodes of uh, married with children as well I'm a big fan of uh, the 50s, you know, had the Honeymooners, huge fan of the Honeymooners. That's one of those shows. I've seen the episodes dozens of times, and I will still laugh at the same jokes as hard as I did the first time I saw them. And then the 60s, I was looking at, like, I was kind of researching sitcoms. The 60s had kind of that escapist fare, the uh, fantastical frolics of uh, the Monsters, the Adams Family for the monster craze that was going on in the 60s. Uh, my favorite Martian, I Dream of Jeannie. Are you kidding me? Did I have a crush on Barbara Eden watching the reruns as a young pre-adolescent boy? Of course. Green Acres, uh, the fish out of water story that has been around since uh, storytelling began. Gilligan's Island. And so those, those sitcoms kind of took daily life and placed them into a surreal plot and premise. And then the late 60s and 70s saw kind of a step up in the writing departments and uh, subject matter of sitcoms, you know. Courtship of Eddie's father had Bill Bixby, a single parent, raising his small son. All in the Family, of course, tackled bigotry. MASH addressed war. Good Times and the Jeffersons, they had uh, race on their plates. Sanford and Son pushed hilarity into new territory of race and uh, class division as well. In the 80s, the Golden Girls kind of ruled the nest there. A bunch of veteran pro actresses provoking uh, laughter through, you know, friendship and the aging process. Family Ties and Growing Pains invited us into the suburbs for uh, weekly comical conflicts and resolutions. And then came the 90s. And, you know, the 90s, a lot of sitcoms were the springboard into superstardom for stand-up comics. You had... Uh, Tim Allen, who had his macho character kind of parodied to the uh, top of the ratings with Home Improvement. Roseanne was the depiction of the trials and tribulations of uh, middle-class America. Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt were the upwardly mobile couple on Mad About You. Cheers! We hung out at, at, at the corner bar with some very colorful characters. Friends, of course, became a touchstone for college pals who were then embarking on real world living and of course you know larry david and jerry seinfeld struck comedy gold with seinfeld the show about nothing and we all have different favorites from different eras recently i've gone back and binge watched uh well, i didn't go back i for the first time i binge watched new girl with zoe dachanel who uh, is fantastic she, and, and the whole the whole show even though i came to it like a decade late 
the writing was excellent and the performances of the principal players were top notch. And uh, also during the pandemic bullshit, I started binge watching the first few seasons of Community. And again, I'm years late to the party, but you know, they had me with Jillian Jacobs. I love her. I like I watch anything she does. And it also the community renewed my respect and we're going to talk to Tom Leopold about this. Renewed my respect for the comedic skills of Chevy Chase, who I really feel has been wrongly dumped on by the comedy community, especially in recent years. So suffice to say, I'm not much of a devotee of sitcoms. I never seem to find the love or sentimental attachment to characters that others do. Although I did shed a tear at the final episode of Freaks and Geeks, but that that wasn't really a sitcom, was it? No, it was more of just like a show, just like a like a comedy drama or whatever. I don't know what the name of the type of show it would be, but it, it didn't really conform to the typical format of the half hour sitcom. Anyway, whatever. Curb Your Enthusiasm, another one that I'll watch anytime I see it. Uh, a show that transcends, you know, the normal trappings of the sitcom, but it definitely very frequently borders on absolute genius, I might add. But I, I, you know, I do find myself revisiting old sitcoms much more than seeking new ones. And I, I, I really can't name any really current sitcoms. I'll watch The Munsters or The Addams Family or The Honeymooners anytime. And, and I'll, again, I'll laugh at the jokes that I've heard a hundred times. But for me, I think it's nostalgia just as much as comedy for the allure of it. What does intrigue me about the sitcom is the writer's room behind them. I've, you know, often dreamt about and romanticized sitting around a table with the likes of Gary Shandling coming up for funny stuff for Red Fox to say, or bouncing ideas off Norman Lear during his groundbreaking days of television's golden age of the 70s. And for me, watching television still has a tinge of guilt to it. It goes back to my childhood. My father was not big on us watching too much television. We'd get together and howl at Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton or catch an episode of the Jonathan Winter show. And occasionally, I would stay up late and uh, watch Buddy Rich or George Carlin when they were on The Tonight Show. But the type of binge-watching society is used to today definitely would not fly in the Tomano household of the uh, late 60s through the 70s and 80s. All right, enough of my tangent. I don't I don't really know what my point is. I guess the point is Tom Leopold is on the show today, and he's a comedy writer that has written some of the funniest stuff that uh, has hit American television. And he's the brains behind some of the most iconic episodes of both uh, Seinfeld and Cheers. His brilliance has also been part of America's comedy scene for decades, and we're going to get into that. Writing for the best is what he's done, and uh, that's because he's the best. He really is. Ask Christopher Guest. Ask Harry Shearer. So I've followed Tom's career for years, and while you may not recognize his name, chances are he's made you laugh really hard a lot of times. Tom Leopold is uh, known for many things, and one of them is being one of the funniest men in American comedy. The uh, comic wizardry that he has has been part of American comedy institutions from National Lampoon to Seinfeld and a lot of things in between. We're going to talk to him today. Christopher Guest says of him that when it comes to comedy, Tom Leopold has an extra gene. We're going to see if we can't get exposed to that gene today. And, of course, uh, his frequent collaborator, Harry Shearer, has singled him out as one of the funniest writers ever so uh tom how's that for uh we're really putting you up there so welcome well, to the program man, I, I wish i had a piece of myself <laughs> i sound so great thanks well, for that wonderful introduction i mean uh, i have just one note yes why do why do you say one of the funniest people that are in the world well see i, I why think... do you have to why do you have to you know give me the full the funniest not that much see I'll that's the that. problem because they have comedic yeah. egos they have you know the comedian egos exactly. they want to they, they wanted to reserve that number one spot for them but if you're in the company of christopher guest and harry Shearer calling yeah. you the, those things it's pretty good i don't mind being the third funniest guy in that sandwich <laughs> <laughs> now now you're a new york guy now but now, where did life start for you um in the womb in the womb yeah no <laughs> very unique all right that's unusual. yeah i'm not that i'm not that extraordinary no i uh i was born and i grew up in miami 
in Coral Gables, Miami, born on Miami Beach, which was a weird place to be, to grow up, because you keep watching shows like Leave it to Beaver and they're wearing winter coats and the leaves are gold. <laughs> it's 190 where you are and, you know, it's so weird to grow up in the tropics. But so that's where I grew up. I, I yeah, Let's see, that's it. I have, I have three brothers. Uh, my father and mother loved showbiz, you know? Yeah. And uh, they would just, that was all they cared about, you know. Now, so, which, were they performers? Which is why I can't read. No, no, no. <laughs> my, my dad, dad was in the dress business and my mom was in the, the wife and mother business. Okay. So they were just, yeah. they were just fans. They were fans oh, yes. of showbiz yes. all across the oh, board. Yes. Oh, yes. My dad particularly was a fan of comedy. So we would listen to, in those days when I was a little kid, you know, there was comedy albums. Oh, yeah. You know? You know, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, and, uh, oh gosh, Shelley Berman, and my favorite, who I had the great honor of working with, Jonathan Winters, mm. Bob Newhart, who I also worked with. But so, you know, my dad had a great thing about comedy. He really, and he was very funny, actually, my dad. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it began, you know, and asthmatic kid, you know, always sick, getting to watch Lucy, I Love Lucy and all the other shows all day long. Yeah. So you kind of learn from, you know. How young were you when you kind of said, ooh, I I really see myself maybe following this path and ending up as a performer? Yeah, I never thought of myself as a writer too much later. But yeah, I wanted to be in showbiz, you know. Yeah. Uh, Very early, seven, eight, very, very early. And, uh, you know, and I really wonder what it'd be like to have not known that. Right. (laughs) know what you wanted to do your whole, you know, the rest of your life. I could have. I could have gotten into me to some sort of kind of technical plastics or something. <laughs> well, there you go. You never know where we're going to end up. Do they need anybody in plastics? I, I, pla- I don't know if plastics still gets the uh, return on investment that it oh, once okay. did. All right. It's I not see. the same as uh, Ann Bancroft's husband, Mrs. Rod. Didn't he suggest that to uh, Benjamin right. and the graduate? Yeah. Plastics, right. one word, that's it. Yes, yes, exactly. So you got bitten at a young age. You were watching I Love Lucy. And, and you know, it's funny you mentioned comedy albums because I still, I've been collecting comedy albums since I was about six, and now I have a whole oh, closet. Really? I have everything. I have records by Pat McCormick and records <sighs> by John Biner, and I didn't even know these things existed. You can't find them anywhere. My God, well, Biner I'm, I'm crazy about, but um, – Pat McCormick, I will. I had that record, and I will tell you a joke that's on that record. Okay, I'm sure you remember it. You know, uh, I'm capable of performing miracles. Just the other day, I walked across Ocean Avenue. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Remember that? Oh, of course. And he he, yeah. he also did. He does a bit about um, elevators for mice. He he was really he was like one of those wacky guys. He was pretty He's far surreal. out. Yeah, because I know Carson sought him out for that kind of stuff, wasn't it? He wanted to become hip, so he kind of put Pat on yeah. the on the team. Yeah. And Pat wrote on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he wrote, yeah. and he wrote for Jonathan Winters as well. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, he did. Uh, a couple of the albums, you, you see Pat's uh, credit there. So, so you know, when you talk about Jonathan Winters, there was a feeling of you know, let, let's contrast Shelley Berman and Jonathan Winters, whereas Shelley was so meticulous in his presentation and his you know and his nuance and his scripted material, and then you have Jonathan, who you, you think was kind of making it up as he went along, and it was brilliant, you know. Well. He, he truly was an angel. I mean, he really was of another world, I think. John, hello? Yeah, I'm there. Are you there? Oh, yeah. I just uh, thought maybe you got tired of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nobody's done ever, with this. Never mind. Yeah. yeah, nobody's ever interviewed me past four minutes. So, very, so this is a new record. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. got that on my resume. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's All my right. honor. So yeah, so you, you have those guys that, that you're coming up with. And then, so you originally kind of delved into show business as an actor, correct? Yes, I started as an actor. I, I moved to New York when I was 17, right out of high school, to go to acting school at NYU, which is where I met Christopher Guest, Michael McKean. And we've been friends since, they were two years older than me. They were 19, I was 17, which is a big difference in those days. And yeah. we've known each other ever since, and been friends ever since. And I didn't know I was funny till I met those guys. Yeah, it just, I didn't know it was that funny. So and they, because I knew they were funny. No, so it was just you throwing out like maybe one-liners here and there, and they they kind of noticed that you had this uh, this comedic gene in you. Uh, yes, yeah. and, but I was smart enough to know how incredibly funny they were. So you know that they laughed at me was like you know, it's great. It's like joining a cool band, you know. Right. 
right? You know, one of the great moments of realization in my life when, you know, when your eyes get widened and your brain expands is discovering, because I, I was a kid that was reading Mad Magazine, Cracked <laughs> Magazine. And so I, I loved, you know, poking fun at institutions. I really loved that they had this kind of edge to them. But then I discovered National Lampoon Magazine and it was like, oh. holy cow. Yeah. And I discovered was- it, Tom, in the library, oddly enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would photocopy articles and stuff. So, so you, you, you were, you submitted to that. You wrote for them. Yeah. Well, Chris Guest and I uh, wrote a couple for them and then a few for them actually. And then we did when, then if you remember, not only did they have the magazine, I don't remember if it came along a year after the magazine. It did. Yeah. But the national lampoon radio hour, the radio hour was uh, aired late at night in Chicago. I think it aired on a Wednesday night on WXRT and then it moved uh-huh. to Sundays and it was, uh, that was a mind blower. And, and, and I was introduced to so many people, uh, you know, Christopher wow. guest, Chevy chase, Harold Ramis and oh, sure. Billy Murray and oh, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Brian Doyle. Oh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Me, I did a bunch of them with, uh, uh, Belzer too as well. Yeah. Belzer, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. because it was kind of like a comedic college for people who were not wanting to be old school. They wanted to kind of forge this new creativity and National Lampoon was an institution. It was it was amazing. Well, the Harvard Lampoon, they all came from yes. so very, kind of a hip uh, pedigree to it. Yeah, uh, but I you... was lucky just to say that I was an actor, really. I never thought of myself as a full-time writer, so I'd be off doing a play somewhere boston and i'd send in stuff for the magazine or the radio hour so i i, I just sort of writing started writing before i ever thought of myself as a writer you know so you but you were writing while you were pursuing acting jobs mm-hmm. as well so it was a kind yeah. of like to, and, and and i want to bring that this point up because i've talked to people who say you know focus on one thing and become really good at it and that's an incredibly uh accurate path but there's also uh the people that if you want to be in show business, do as much as you can, because then the more you can do, the more you will do. And that's kind of a model that I've lived by. You know, hey, you need someone in the pit? I could play drums. You need someone sure. to uh, paint sets? I'll do that. And it's got me uh, a lot farther, I think, than maybe just focusing on one aspect of it. Well, you're throwing your net out there wider, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was just just take any job I could do to stay in show business right so that came up and i could you know make some money there i never thought now looking back it looks very very uh you know i was really at a whole plan <laughs> right 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 but it just one thing went to the other and it was really just you know anything not to have a straight job i never really never had a straight job except for two weeks in my life yeah i mean my straight i mean out of show business (laughs) right right yeah Yeah. but that's the thing you 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 do anything to stay in the biz and yeah yeah you know tom getting back to national lampoon the radio hour it Mm -hmm. seems like where modern comedy came from came from the radio shows that were national lampoon which was new york based i'm guessing and and then there was the credibility gap with your oh, cohorts, you know, yeah, Sher- and, yeah, yeah, and Sher and uh, Michael McKean. Dave Lander, may yeah. rest in peace, beautiful man. And he you is. guys were doing sketch comedy on the radio, and, and it was that was really, I think, that's where people like Lauren Michaels probably got the idea. Hey, let's put this on television. Yeah, I guess, and you know, Harry, Harry's had a, a NPR show for. 30 years and I've been on right. like regularly at different characters all sounding like myself of course but um, no I, uh, I forgot what you were asking me I was bragging and no, I, 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 <laughs> so enjoy, I was so enjoying my brag that I forgot well, enjoy well, your brag by the yeah, way man. you're Elvis on uh, Le Show Harry Shearer's Le Show is, uh, that's legendary yeah. Oh, thank you. But I was just saying that I think that was the impetus of hip humor. You know, when you had, I mean, it came out of Lenny Bruce and that sort of thing and Nichols and May, but the guys who brought it into, you know, the hippie era coming out of that with a little bit of angst, uh-huh. I think it was Nash Lampoon and what the credibility gap were doing. And yeah. and then you, you guys kind of did that. I, I remember the TV show, right? For a little while. Me, Rob, and Chris. And, yeah. You know it was just a special, but I was just going to say that, uh, that, you know, all us guys from those periods, you know, we looked up to the goon, to, uh, the goon show or Bob and Ray. So it wasn't like just coming out of nowhere, you know? 
It was just uh, bringing your modern sensibilities to yeah, that form. Yeah, idolize those guys. Yeah. You know, and so we're, you know, just ripping them off in our own ways. But, uh, you know, Mike and Harry, and we, we all love Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. And, mm-hmm. and that was the week that was, and uh, uh, on the, Beyond the Fringe, and, and then, uh, you know, other cool things, you know. So yeah. it all, it's like music, you know, the blues came out of this, rock and roll came out of that. It's just, it's just music, but... Right. When you were kind of flourishing as a writer, you had, you know, obviously you dabbled in that. You were doing your acting. And then Chevy Chase had a key role in, in you establishing yourself as a writer. Is that is that correct? That is very correct. I mean, I was writing and doing good, you know, doing stuff. And then going back to acting, too. Like I do, some, I went to guest start on Gunsmoke and then I would come back and write something. And then I did all those shows as an actor, you know, Gunsmoke, Maddox, all that stuff. Vernon Shirley, Chris Guest, and I did an episode of that. But um, again, I forgot what you were asking me. I think I forgot what I was asking. Oh, no, it was um, (laughs) just that the Chevy Chase and you, you collaborated. Yes, yes, yes. Here's a a tip for you, young people. Don't drink an entire Jeroboam of gin before you do the interview. (laughs) That's a crime stopper, my friends. Okay. Now, yeah, it was just anyway. beca- it was just because it was my interview, right? You said oh, I got an interview with this guy. Let me let me yeah. get, let me get hammered it was, first. It was the hardest thing I had, unfortunately. <laughs> but next to a hammer, you know. But, um, well, uh, it's an interesting story. I knew I knew Chevy from the from Saturday Night Live and the Lampoon and the radio show. You know, right. Chevy was up there too. And but I, I I didn't know him well. Chris knew him better than I did. They had roommated it out in California. Chris Guest and Chevy. So anyway, I was at a party after one of the early the first season of Saturday Night Live at Dan Aykroyd's house, and um, I'm sitting there having a drink, and Chevy Chase comes over. Who that moment had was the biggest star. Right. In four weeks, he became like the biggest star in the country, and he comes over to me. I said, "You will ask me." It sounds very braggy, but. What else have I got? You know. Okay, let's let's brag. Yeah, I got nothing else going. Right. But uh, he sat next to me and he, he just looks at me and he goes, "I hear you're the funniest guy." <laughs> and and I I just said, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I so, didn't try to be funny or anything, you know. Yeah. He thought that was so funny that I just went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." It's, it's like, yeah. yeah. So now, and he didn't even say like the funniest guy in that group or the funniest guy around. You're just you're the funniest guy. The funniest guy. I said, yeah, you know, what am I going to do? You know. And then so about a week later, soon after that, my phone rings and it's Chevy Chase, and he's just ready to leave Saturday Night Live, right? But in order to leave, he had to do a TV special, or two of them for NBC. Mm -hmm. And so he says, look, I I want you to write. I've got to do this TV special. First thing I'm doing since Saturday Night Live, I want you to write on it, but I only want you to write on it if what I heard you say to somebody, you actually said. And I said, well, what, what was that, you know? And I had a friend coming up uh, to Boston to see me in a play. It was Chris Guest's sister, who I've known since she was a kid. And she wanted to come see the play and stay with me, right? And I said, oh, sure, great. So she went and she said, yeah, yeah, I'll see you two or three days. And I said, stay to you. <laughs> Which, so it was that said, subtlety you, that kind of he tuned into. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's pretty funny, but I never thought it was that funny. And then right. he says, did you actually say that? And I said, yeah. He said, okay, I want you to write my special. And I ended up writing quite a lot of the special. With I think Brian that's Murray. the kind of line that Chevy would sh- say, though, you know? So. Well, that's what, you know, I learned something from that as a comedy writer. Like, all you need to hear is like one or a couple of things about somebody and you get the, who the person is behind the shovel, you know, totally. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it was a good lesson and like, you don't have to read the entire oeuvre to, mm-hmm. to know if somebody's funny or not, right? Yeah, I can see Chevy saying, and th- that's my kind of a line, so th- yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we've be- been very close friends ever since. Just been, we text each other, send each other uh, horrible photographs. Yeah, every, almost every text and back and forth. You know, you know, Chevy Chase still has. I, I, I'm one of these people that I don't binge television shows unless they've been off the air for ten years. Like I'm just getting around to community. Right. You know, right, right. And it's I love his work on. He's got great mm-hmm. chops. And and I think, you know, I remember the roast, the the Chevy Chase roast that kind of went. He seemed at the end, and I know you were part of that, and Paul Schaefer, who's amazing. We wrote a song called We Couldn't Get Anybody Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
I remember that we couldn't. That was the but the I production I, number at the beginning. At the, I have a problem with some of those roasts, and that was kind of the turning point of the roasts where they really went for the jugular and yes. it became almost personal. It wasn't poking it was fun anymore like the old timers. It was ripping someone's guts out. And I think yep. I think Chevy was uh I think he was hurt by that. It seemed like it, it just I recently yeah. rewatched it, you know? Yeah, yeah, he was. We went up there right afterwards. Thing is none of these very few of these people even knew him personally. Mm. And they were all just doing jokes, you know. And um but the other thing is as I always thought I told I even told Chevy, I said, you know, you know, you really only should be roasted when you're really kind of on fire and you're on top because then people don't feel uncomfortable saying horrible things about you. It's loving and it's funny, you know? And uh, so that's when people should be roasted, you know? And yeah. he was going through kind of a slump at the period. And But, uh, and also these, you know, these guys weren't that funny. They were just mean, you know? Just mean, yeah. Yeah. Al Franken was funny. You know? Al Franken's always funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is, he is. Yeah, it's it's it, that was that's an oddball in the uh, pantheon of roasts. But they all they yeah. all I, like I can't watch them anymore. I don't even know if they're still doing them, but they got to be a little too brutal. Um, yeah. But but I could see especially uh, that line going to Chevy and him saying, "Okay, this is my guy." And also Richard Belzer <laughs> yeah. had the same thing. He hired you as a writer as well. Didn't oh you? God, yeah, we met. Oh yeah, I I did a lot of stuff with him. He had a series on Cinemax like. Ed Road and co-starred with him. Well, we knew each other. Actually, it was like in comedy, it's like matchmaking. Like Chris Guest said, "Look, you got to meet Richard Belzer," and I and he said to Belzer, "You got to meet Tom Leopold." So it was like a date set up because he's the fun. He's funny and you're funny, and it was like you know a blind date. Yeah. We met and we've been you know just laughing hilariously ever since. You know. Yeah. 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 He's a serious actor now, though. He'll, oh, yeah, he'll point that out to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is amazing. One of the things you did um, in finding bits and pieces of it was work with Steve Allen. And, and later yeah. in her life, I became friends with Jane Meadows because we would wake oh. her up on the radio show for her birthday. Oh, nice. I and love the, Jane Meadows. Oh, and the stories she would tell of Steve, it <clears throat> seemed like he never lost his love for performing writing and mm-hmm. creativity he was a real champion of people becoming unique and doing their thing and you got he to write for him my, yes you know i've been so lucky because i mean what he was an idol of mine absolute jonathan winters him you know uh and i got a job writing on he he got six summer specials that's how long ago it sounds like it's from the dinosaur period but mm-hmm. anyway steve allen's summer shows we did six or seven and i was on as a writer and and Catherine O'Hara was hired only as a writer. And that's where I first met Catherine O'Hara. And anyway, so the first day of work, I had written some sketch where we shot outside a movie theater in Santa Monica. And I hadn't really met Steve yet. And I'm standing next to him. And I, you know, I can't tell you the thrill. It was like for a baseball fan to meet like Mickey Mantle or mm. something like that. You know what I mean? And um, so he was very tall, Steve. He's like two feet taller than me. And I was standing next to him. And I didn't know how to say anything to him. And I was just nervous and excited. But I noticed he had a little round Band-Aid on his neck from like a pimple or a <laughs> shaving cut, right? Right. So I don't know what the fucking... Z- oh, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Possess me. But uh, I suddenly just put, reached up and put my finger on the Band-Aid <laughs> pressed, and pressed it in. And I said, man... Uh, hold my calls. Tell Tony to bring the car around. I want to get my nails done and a little haircut on this side. Tell you know, and get to drying, you know, cleaning and and I just left it there for a while and he laughed so hard. And I realized just after I did it, this is insane. You're going to get fired. This is right. the stupidest thing you've ever done. And yet it was like the greatest thing, I mean, bravest thing I guess I ever did. I just I just loved him so much. I wanted to make connect him I just wanted to connect with him you know and the thing is I wrote stuff as the writer Tom Leopold and I and he made me do it on the show as his writer Tom Leopold yeah and he Catherine O'Hara and I were in a sketch where we sang and danced with Donald O'Connor uh, you know and we wow. became performers on the show yeah. and Steve was so lovely to me he took me to his house for dinner and and I met uh, James and uh, and then he then in late 89 I guess some magazine was uh, called Next 
and it was and they asked Steve Allen who he thought was going to be next big thing in the 90s right and he put my name down and Catherine O'Harris and then I thank wrote him a letter thanking my saying just in case you 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 know you you're wrong would you mention me again mm-hmm. you know in the 2000s <laughs> If this doesn't take, can you just keep me on the yeah, file? That's just, great. Somehow you're just off by a few years. You know yeah. what's great about um, <laughs> Steve Allen that I've learned from him and that I've uh, taught to people who are starting out in radio or whatever, and they if they seek my advice, first of all, I tell them you're seeking the wrong person. But yeah. Steve never took the spotlight for himself. He 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 believed in the collaboration and it seemed like yeah. he enjoyed someone else shining as much as you know oh, he, sh- God, he yeah. shined you know so and he had that laugh that was the most yeah infectious hilarious laugh louis and i i worked with all those guys i worked on that show i i worked with lucy i did wrote a sketch was in a sketch with lucille ball i mean wow. here i am like 10 years out of high school working with all these legends and um if you want me to, I could tell you a really lovely story about Jonathan Winters. If you oh, want please. I would love that. Um, I was doing the Steve Allen show, and, you know, I was a freak for Jonathan Winters. And uh, Steve said, look, Johnny Winters told him to me. He says, Johnny Winters is coming in today. I know you love him. Just stay with him all day so he doesn't wander off. Because, <laughs> you know, Jonathan Winters, he was uh, from another planet. You know? Right. Just, yeah, just the sweetest man. So I'm hanging with Jonathan Winters all day, and he's so great, and um, and I, you know, but I, you know, I was just loving it. He's just nonstop doing incredible bits just for me. Yeah. And then comes lunchtime, and, he, and he, I said, "Okay, well, I guess lunch." He says, "Well, let's go. Let you and I go out to lunch." So he says, "You drive." So I had like I don't know Volkswagen. So Jonathan Winters and I drive to Musso Frank's, the famous grill out in Hollywood Boulevard, and, I, and I'm like. It's like I'm numb. I'm like pinching myself. Here I'm, and John the Winters is in my crappy Volkswagen doing f- wonderfully funny bits with me. And we go to lunch, and he just never stops. And I know, looking at the clock, I know we're going to be late if he doesn't stop being an, a, a pirate, right? <laughs> a pirate character, you know. And we pay the check. So anyway, we're driving back. It was just amazingly wonderful. And he's asking me about me. And uh, what I do, my, my family, and I said, oh, blah, blah, I got three brothers. And she said, yeah, what are they doing? Well, I said, one's in the hospital now. My brother had, he recovered and it was fine, but he had cancer at one point. And I said, yeah, and he's in Miami Beach in the hospital. He says, okay, when we get back to the studio, get him on the phone. Because I told him how much my brother, and I would spend hours just laying in front of the hi-fi listening to one of his records. You know, I could mm. quote every line of his records. And just get him on the phone. So we get back with we're already right late for lunch, right? And the AD's going crazy and he says, No, I gotta go to my dressing room. Come on, Tom. And go, we go in and I call my brother at Mount Sinai Hospital. And I, I say, Mark, hold on, somebody wants to speak to you. Johnny gets on and, and he says, Mark, this is Coach Wolfson down at Joe. Oh, you <laughs> You gotta get back on the field, boy. Rub dirt on it. Rub dirt on it. Get back in the field. Then he went into some other care. He did like ten minutes to my brother. Mm. And you know they're knocking the door. Come on, come on! He doesn't stop, right? So I mean, that man became uh, lives in my heart, boy. I'll tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you hear that all? He was his own person, and he did his own thing, yeah. and he had a heart of gold. You hear so many of these great. That's a wonderful story, you know. <laughs> and 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 to, for you, that had to be surreal. Here you are a guy that grew up listening and idolizing Jonathan Winters. You're at lunch with him and now you're calling your brother who's in the hot. That's just, those are the moments that you say life is indeed magic sometimes. I know it's, it, it was tr- truly amazing. It's like, a, you know, it's like jumping in the TV. Right. <laughs> with him, you know? Right. You know, studying you and the guys from the national lampoon and the, and the people that came up during that era and some of the comics like Belzer and and Chevy Chase. One of the guys, you know, Paul Schaefer, he was kind of everywhere. He was involved in everybody's uh, yeah. stuff. And and yep. I think people, you know, they know him as obviously the musical director on Letterman for so many years. And people don't, I don't think he gets enough credit for his comedy chops. Is that, you think that's oh, about accurate? That could be, but not from people who, not from the people who know him, like Eugene Levy, Marty Short. Right. He's my best. Paul's my very best friend. I'm proud to say, and I, I don't write anything without running it by him. Excellent. Yeah. If he thinks it's funny, then I'm totally relaxed. Yeah. 
you know, and we, we've been friends, good best friends for 40 years. And he played at my wedding, you know. Wow. And uh, it's just, but he is, he's the, he was the guy, if you can't remember something that, some hack comedian did in 1961. You ask Paul, he'll, he'll know. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, he's <laughs> a showbiz encyclopedia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we have a club that we go out, Paul and I, Belzer or Harry, if they're in town. And we, we have a club. We would go to see bad entertainment. That's our fun, you know? Right. We're really trying to, we seek out the worst entertainment because <laughs> the only good entertainment is bad entertainment. Now, right, right. You know, because good entertainment is so bad. So anyway, we go and what we sometimes we say, well, what if, what if we go, go all that way and spend the money and it's good, and we go, well, we'll just leave. It's just fucking money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we travel all over the country seeing terrible stuff. This better be bad. <laughs> this better be bad, man. I'm, I'm missing Matlock on TV. <laughs> what are some of the What are some of the greatest oh. bad shows you've seen? Well, it's. We once saw Judy Kern, who was on the original Laugh-In. Sure. And uh, may she rest in peace. And we were at this club, this gay club down in Sheridan Square in Greenwich Village. And she just, she's tap dancing at one point. And she's doing a bit like, only I, only I would land at Heathrow Airport with a pound of hashish. At the same time, Princess Margaret's landing there. And then she went into a song and tap danced and fell down these stairs and landed real Cossacks. Oh, no. Yeah. So we were sitting with her manager, which was like six foot two trans, transvestite. Oh. And she says, you got to come back and say hi to Judy. You know? <laughs> and so we go back and she's sitting in ice. She's sitting in a bucket of We love the show. It's, you know, and it was so much easier when before Paul was really famous because, you know, but we could be invisible. But now because he was famous, we have, they expect us to go back, so we have to really. But you know, we we're not making. Well, we are. We're mocking them, but we also love it. You know, we just love. Yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Poor Judy Carnes. Yeah, Judy. yeah. You know, the, yeah. I recently revisited some laughing episodes. The, the, the great thing about being a kid watching laughing is it was nothing but jokes from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Just yep. a thousand jokes an episode. It was. Yeah. So so you worked on uh, Viva Shop Vegas, which I wanted to ask you because that was you know. A bizarre special that they did with uh, with Paul, and yep. you, you, you did Harry Shearer direct that he directed that right? Harry directed it. Yeah, three of us wrote it. Uh, I played his best friend, writer Tom Leopold, right? The Tropicana Hotel. Harry directed it, and Harry also played Rabbi Rabbi Shlomo Lock. Right. When Paul gets married on stage. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, oh, that was the most fun things in the whole world. Now, when you guys wrote that, you had a guy, Red Fox was in that. Red Fox, Robert Goulet. Yeah. You know, Paul was very hot from Letterman, so yeah. we got to do this special. And uh, we made the most of it. We just It was just so much fun. Yeah, it was great. What was it like, now, what was it like working with Red Fox? Because I find him a fascinating character. In life. Well, I only spent that day with him, but I, 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 he's gone now, so I guess I can tell this story. Yeah, he died like that, right? Hey. And he was there. He was there. He gets married. Just know if he should stay and be single and swing with me with all the chicks in, in Las Vegas or get married to his girlfriend, Hope Crosby. Right. That was his girlfriend's name. Right. And so finally we go through and we, we do this odyssey through Vegas and then at the end he gets married decides to get married on stage and brings Hope Crosby out and Harry's the rabbi and Harry goes and he's full Hasidic rabbi outfit you know the fur hat and everything sure and he says if anybody objects to this marriage let him talk now and I and Red Fox stands up in the audience Red Fox here he is you know and applause so anyway uh we're through shooting and we're kind of hanging out and we get a call and Red Fox calls and asks for me. I go, oh, hi, Red. Yeah, you're great. Ah, that's great, man. Listen, did anybody find a keychain on the floor? <laughs> and I said, what? What? What do you mean? Ah, there's this little keychain. I lost. Well, it wasn't just a keychain. It had a little glass bottle on it with some white powder in it. <laughs> So I said, well, I'll go look and let you know, you know, Red. 
And so both Paul and I go running out there, <laughs> try to find his Red's Coke, you know? Oh, man. Not that we were going to do it, God knows. But anyway, <laughs> we never did find it. But imagine finding that and just keeping that for as a souvenir. That'd be, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really just a keychain. Yeah. You know, yeah, good. How do you lose a keychain without the keys on it? Yeah, oh, because it's got yeah. your Coke. That's but funny. You know, Red Fox's Coke has got to be good, you know. I, yeah, he was he was into it from what I've heard, yeah. you know. So yeah. he probably, and, and he was making some money. I want to talk about uh, some of the favorite episodes from some of the iconic shows that you've been involved in. Um, sure, thank you. Uh, you know, when I watch Cheers, uh, that's a great ensemble cast. And... Sure. Um, I had the honor of, I went to the, because uh, I was part of Second City in the late 80s. Oh, really? And I got to, yeah, think think uh, Children's Theater. That was more my speed. That's what I got the auditions for. But I, I got to go on stage with um, George Went at one point at the oh. like 40th anniversary or something. Oh. And he was amazing he was such yeah. so you know because i was a little nervous i'm up there with the guy from cheers but uh, he made me feel good i think our, our classic bit was i was a flower and he was a bee pollinating me so i could <laughs> yeah so it was, so it was probably yeah. not gonna be you know in the best of real but it was it was fun oh george is so sweet yeah Such so good guy yeah so good guy give us some cheer stories working with shelly long and ted dancing at the peak of well, their careers shelly long wasn't there when i was there it was uh, christy Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Alley. Kirstie Alley, right. And, but all those guys were really great. And, you know, I worked on a bunch of sitcoms, and uh, it all comes from the top, you know. Ted Danson was really nice. Yeah. And so everybody else was nice. And Kelsey um, uh, ended up, Christopher, not Christopher, Harry Shearer and I wrote a musical called J. Edgar. Right. About the love affair between J. Edgar and his, quote, uh, personal assistant, Clyde Tolson. You know, like a real Broadway old musical. Oh, sure. And Kelsey played uh, Jay Edgar, and John Goodman played Clyde Tolson in this thing. We did it for NPR. And mm -hmm. at, at a, at a, you can still get the audio book, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. It's called yeah. Jay Edgar. Anyway, um, so that's why I met them. And that was uh, my favorite job of writing because not so much the actors who were all great. And the great thing about those actors, whenever they were interviewed, they would always compliment the writing. Mm. And that's the only sitcom I worked on where that was true. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And um, uh, it, I, what was I going to say? But the writers on that show, I was so spoiled because I thought these were some of the funniest guys I ever wrote with. And I'd come out of there at 2 in the morning because you'd be there late from 10 in the morning to 2 sometimes. And just bouncing off the walls laughing. Just, you know, and and it wasn't. it's not always like that. But right. So, you know, you're in those rooms for 10 hours a day and you better be with some funny people. But Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when people compliment you and they and they enjoy what you're doing, it, it makes you do better work. You know, that's just a yeah. given. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I never forget. I won't say who it was, but uh, I, it was a sitcom. And uh, at the end of the season, we're in the studio and the audience is all there. And she says, and the star of the sitcom uh, says, listen, the season's over. I got to thank some incredible people. He thanks the executive producer, you know, the wardrobe person, and blah, blah, blah. And finally, we're writers. We're standing there, and we're thinking, okay, she's going to say us next. And she says, but the biggest thank you, really, of all, we, none of us would really could make it without them. And we think they're gonna say, she's going to say writers. The craft services people, come on, let's hear it. <laughs> and so those are the people who, like, put out... You know, Vienna sausages on the yeah. table and soda and coffee. And bags and of Fritos, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. No mention of the writers. Yeah. You know, you touched on Jay Edgar, the musical, and uh, that was with you and Harry Shearer. And right. just, first of all, the uh, I, I got to ask you, so so you and Harry Shearer bouncing ideas around. Was the impetus, let's write a musical, because I know you're a musical fan, or was it, let's write something about Jay Edgar? How did that come about? Um, Harry, they had Harry NPR had asked Harry to do this thing for this playwrights thing on NPR. It's going to be a national thing. You could do whatever you want, like a play, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we were, he called me and says, "You got, we got to do this together." And I, and for some reason, I or he was reading a book about Jay Edgar, Hoover, or I don't know why, 
And we just thought, God, there's the musical. Because we wanted to do it. <laughs> we wanted to do it like a musical from 1959. Right. You know what I mean? Taking itself very seriously. But it's a love story about these two guys who meet in the men's room at, at, at uh, Sardi's. And it's Jay Edgar and his lifelong assistant, Fly Tulsa. And they meet in the men's room and they start to sing a song called Once Upon a Face. Yeah. Why am I feeling these feelings? Right, right, you right. Know, right, right. And uh, once upon, and then, you know, who is this man? You know, why do I feel like this? You know, and it's we, and it just made us laugh so hard. Yeah. And they let us do it, so we did it, and we, we wrote all the lyrics to the songs. And a wonderful musician, Peter Matz, who's also passed away, he he did all the first Barbara Streisand albums and orchestrated. He's on that record with Noel Coward playing piano. Wow. Noel Coward in the desert. He did the tunes, and the tunes are great. Yeah, and uh, it, it had, yeah. So, and it went over great. John Goodman was in it, and Kelsey, and as yeah, Chris Annette, was in Annette it. O'Toole Mike, was in it. Annette O'Toole, Mike McKean, yeah, uh, Dave Castellaneta from, uh, and the other, and the girl Homer plays, Simpson, uh, yeah. Homer. Yeah. yeah, you know, in listening to that, it has it has kind of a Stan Freeberg United States of America flavor to it. There you go. I love that record. I loved it. Yeah, because yeah. it does. Absolutely. It takes itself seriously. There's no winking at the audience. This is no, for real. Yeah, that was of that period. Yeah. Uh, I never never forget. It's around round world. It's around He's sailing off the end. Right. I just drove to Wisconsin a few weeks ago and I listened to that whole thing, uh, both the, both volumes. You know, it was oh, it's amazing Freeburg. stuff. Yeah, Freeburg he, was he amazing. Came, he came to uh, Cheers one night and uh, he's sitting in the front row watching a taping. And I heard he was there and all the writers, we all were so happy. And we went out in a break and, and went, stood before him and got on our knees and said, and bowed, Mr. Freeburg, we're the writers. And he stood up like the Pope you know, and like gestured for us to rise because <laughs> we all idolized him. You know? Yeah. 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 Now, in the, in, when you wrote for Seinfeld, first of all, some of the the great episodes, and I, I want to just uh, ask you about one. Uh, first of all, what was the writing room like at the Seinfeld show? Because I see Jerry being extremely meticulous, and then I see Larry being kind of out there and just letting things happen. Oh no, Larry was far from letting things happen. He really he was the control of it all. Oh really? Okay. And Jerry helped him. Oh yeah. I know. So we would all pitch ideas and we'd write up a version of something and then put it through the Jer- the Larry machine. Okay. Right? And um, but the main thing was coming up with really good ideas, and uh, and Larry had the voice even you know. We, but it wasn't like a room like I was used to uh, being in later, like with ten guys, eleven, you know, screaming people. So, um, uh, and we all, and we all, and I loved it because we, we had to just do little funny things that happened to us, right? You know, like uh, I wrote one episode, uh, Babu Bot. I created, oh, him, Babu. you, know, the, the you created Babu Bot. You were a very yeah, bad yeah. man, yeah, yeah. Bad man. And that was a little restaurant that opened on the corner of a West 11th Street. My wife and I were first married, this little tiny place with four chair tables and the sad little Vietnamese guy mm. who was so lonely nobody went in and I kept saying we, I speak, nobody goes in my wife says we'll go in I go no if we go in we'll always have to go in it's right next to our house <laughs> and I got obsessed about it and then in the same episode I think um, George takes the IQ test I think yes. it's that one and that happened to me when, years ago I was dating a woman who gave IQ tests who kept trying to give me an IQ test and I was want to find out I was even dumber than I thought I was you know? <laughs> I didn't do it but so yeah that was great one I learned a lot from Larry about you know using a story from here and attaching it to this story over there yeah. you know and, and uh, but my most fun job was cheers just because it was great to be in a room of uh, it's like really playing in a tight band you know yeah really, right really. right and everybody was funny in a different way you know yeah and you had so many characters that you could really dive into they're, they're yes, it all been said. Yeah, you, you, that show was established, so, so you need a George kind of joke and a, you know, right. Woody kind of joke. Yeah. So uh, you worked on Ellen, Caroline in the Caroline in the City, and and one of the things about going back researching, you know, some of the stuff you did, Caroline in the City. I I think I never realized how diverse of an actress Leah Thompson is. Yeah, she was good. Yeah. She was good. 
Yeah. She could yeah. do stuff as a, you know, she could do heavy drama and she could do uh, so, some comedy there. Now, did you ever, yeah. did you ever get a writing job, Tom, where you say, I, I just, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I can't get this, I can't get this person's uh, mindset. Um, I can't say that I have, I, because I just can't say that. Thank God I haven't. Yeah. Um, um, one time I was asked to write an article for Us Magazine about late night TV. And I know it sounds silly, but this is the only thing I couldn't figure. And what, about late night TV. And I made the whole thing about me late night. Right. Trying to watch late night TV because I was just so used to working out of myself. Right. And I put very little in about the late night TV. I just thought how I am late at night. Right, you know? right, right, right. And and I just I, I just couldn't. That's the one thing. Um, uh, no, not only you you want to not only do you want to service the characters that you've been that you see there, but you maybe also want to bring it to another bring them to another dimension. Right. You know. You right. know so, yeah. Well, no, because be, be, having written for so many diverse people, I mean, so so you're writing for Chevy Chase, and then you're writing for. You know Marilyn McCoo, who Variety Hour. You you've got to be able to temper your act and temper your delivery, and to not yes. only what they want and who they are, but also they want you to bring a little Tom Leopold to it. So that that's the balancing yeah. act, I'm guessing. Yes, you know, and by then, I I, I always by then I'd done so much of it that I knew I had the chops to pull off something decent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To get to, you know. Uh, but you don't want to just do something decent. You want to, even if it's on something a little hokey like McCoon Davis summer show, you know, um, I'll never forget one of the, when I realized I could pretty, you know, you, you know, when you have a situation where the, 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 the executive producer says, look, I'm, I'm the Chevy special, for example, Chevy wants to play piano in a sketch and he also wants to be in bed with a beautiful woman and <laughs> and we're throwing out that other sketch so you have to it's now 11 and you got to write it by 12 it's got to we have it by 12 because we have to do a set to build a set so <laughs> i i thought so i wrote a little sketch it was really funny and, but i knew i could do something but luckily if you just show up and really concentrate sometimes it can transcend just being uh, you know, act, you know, just being okay. You know, just being right. a solid workmanlike thing. And, I, and the sketch turned out to be where Chevy is in bed with his, in pajama, you know, under the covers of his shirt off, and beautiful woman's next to him, and they obviously just made love. And and Chevy says, you know, it's a tight shot of the two of them. And Chevy says, "Come on, baby, do it." And she goes, "No, Chevy, no. Come on, come on, just for me. No, no, no." And a little that goes on, and then she goes, "Oh, okay." And she gets up and sits at an upright, gets out of bed and sits down at an upright piano right next to the bed. Mm-hmm. And Chevy <laughs> just goes, "Oh, yeah, no, no, now just the black keys." <laughs> <laughs> Classic so, stuff. Yeah, so I got you know. Sometimes you get there and you and, it, and you show up and your talent says, "Look at that guy. Let's give him a hand." You know, yeah, some talent. You know. Well, you're an incredible inspiration, Tom Leopold. Thanks oh, for thank uh, thanks so for taking much. so much time with us today. And uh, so, what what's coming up that we can look forward to? Anything that you want to plug? Well, it's nothing I can plug that's going to be out now. But I'm working on a, a thing with Paul Schaefer, and it's it's kind of a comic documentary about my friendship with Paul and Belzer, and 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 uh, how we go to all that bad entertainment. And, and it's like that. We're working on that now with the director of the Letterman Show. He directed the Letterman Show for years. Wow. And another little thing that I don't want to put the hoodoo on it. Uh, it's a, a sitcom for a, a star people might know, but if I don't, I don't want to have to apologize for not selling it. So I'm not going to say who it is. But everybody, pray for me out there. All right. That I make even more money. There, yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, and thank uh, you. Tom, please promise you'll come on again. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure, man. Thanks a lot for all that research. God. Well, Tom. Not half of the stuff I did. You know what I heard? Yes. You're the funniest guy. That's right. And there you have it. An amazing conversation with an amazing man, Tom Leopold. Thank you so much for being part of our program. 
And thank you so much for listening. Next week, we got a very special show. I've dug into the archives. So, you know, I've collected a lot of interviews with people over the last 30 years in broadcasting. And I've decided to dedicate uh, one show a month to archived interviews. Uh, some stuff that needs to see the light of day once again and reach new audiences. If you have a drummer or a music lover in your life, let them know that next week we unvault classic interviews with Carmine Apice and Terry Bozio. Now, if you're not a drummer or not a rock and roll historian fan, you may be saying, who? They'll let you know. Next week on the Mike Tomato Happening, we give the drummer some. Till then, go out there and have your best week ever. Thanks for listening.